Not sure if a Canton trip is in the future uh, for Zach Kiefer. I'm sure he could be a Hall of Fame contributor in the, you know, at some point in time down the road. But uh, not your thoughts on that, his busy national schedule. He just spent a couple of days in South Florida. Now he's got a 10 or 15 minutes to yap with us. Hello, my friend. We miss you at Colts camp. I don't think the Colts miss me, but I miss seeing the guys every day. I'm on the way from Miami to Tampa, so I'm seeing the lovely state of Florida this afternoon. Are we still going to get our quality time passing each other at Hubbard and Cravens at 49th and Penn? Uh, I know you can't like watch the Twitter feed, but literally I'm holding up the cup. I was there earlier today. When are you getting back to the hood? Oh, that's that's like my home office. That's, <laughs> that's where I do all my work. Yeah, I've, I've got a long training camp tour. It's like nine days, so... Uh, I will be back home at Hubbard and Cravens pretty probably next week when I got to write all these stories. We will get to JT obviously very soon, but but simply put, let's talk a little shop here. What is it like for you being so focused on all things horseshoe to now having that thirty thousand foot view where you're kind of covering things on, on in thirty two different places across the country? Yeah, it's been a challenge. It's been different. Um, you kind of live in a bubble, as everybody in Indy kind of knows. Like, you to cover a team, you're there every day. You talk to everyone in that building all the time. You kind of know every little thing that's going on. And as you know, and as everyone who's listening knows, there's been a lot going on with the Colts the last four or five, six years. And um, when you kind of step out of it, it, it feels weird. But have had a lot of time to dig into some really long, different, weird stories you know, this summer and, and right now as the season gets going, wrote about Pac-Man Jones yeah. adopting Chris Henry's son. That was a long one. A really weird one about Blake Martinez, a former NFL linebacker, getting into Pokemon. I know nothing about Pokemon, but it was <laughs> uh, a very lucrative business for him, which was stunning. And, and now kind of bouncing around to different training camps, seeing how they do it. But, Greg, man, like the Colts, I thought I was leaving at a good time. My buddy James Boyd could take over the new Anthony Richardson, Shane Steichen era. All the chaos and the drama of the last couple years, and believe me, there's been a lot. I thought it was going to quiet down and be a normal season, but the Colts being the Colts cannot have a normal season and they certainly are not having a normal training camp so far. Just when you thought you were out, they pulled you back in. So you're writing about Jim Irsay and Jonathan Taylor, and that debuted on The Athletic as of this morning. And I thought you did a great job of the opening few paragraphs just trying to figure out how we got here. And, and so that is my question on this front to you. How did suddenly things change? And literally, a guy that I'm not sure I have ever seen without a smile on his face now seemingly has a permanent scowl when, to his credit, he is out there at training camp. He is literally standing next to the running backs as they are going through their individual work and, and their group drills. So he's there, he's present, but he's far from happy. How did we get to this point? Yeah, that's the most stunning thing in all of this is how acrimonious this has gotten. Like you said, like JT, the first couple of years in the league, you never saw him without a smile on his face. One of the nicest guys ever. I've sat and talked with him about his football story for 30, 40 minutes, and, and just as nice as they come. And then you saw some frustrations last year with the injury, and, and obviously it was a bizarre, disappointing season. But this, I didn't see this coming, and neither did the team. And, and that's the most stunning thing of all. I mean, you go back to April, and this guy is standing at the podium saying, I put pen to paper. I made an obligation to this team. They made an obligation to me. That's where I'm at. And you think about now where he's standing on the sideline with that hoodie over his face, a scowl, 
and and he's demanding a trade. Like I just I just can't believe we're here with this player. If that makes sense. And the reality is Jonathan Taylor's tone has changed dramatically, and I didn't see that coming. The layer in this that's that's really important is the injury, right? I think everybody around the team and everybody around the building expected him to be full go at the start of training camp. And that he's not, that's that's a surprise to me. Like, I was really surprised that he was on the pup to start training camp. EJ Speed, similar injury, he's good to go. I know JT was training in March, and, and what is it, August 2nd? And, you know, that's that's a term that I didn't expect. And then secondly, as I led the story off with, I've asked Chris Ballard directly, like, are you going to pay this guy right. as, as you've done with every other guy before who's earned it? And JT objectively has earned it. There is the, the running back layer. I get that. And, and Chris, being Chris, said you pay your best players. I said, even if it's a running back, he said you pay your best players. So everybody kind of assumed this would get done. And the other layer being, you know, Jim Irsay, the minute they drafted Anthony Richardson, thought to himself, okay, this is going to be a really fun backfield. They yep. want the veteran running back to pair with the young rookie passer who has some growing to do. Jim Mercedes has mentioned Marshall Falk in 98 pairing with the young Peyton and how instrumental that was. To get to where we are now, it, you know, the, the impetus is really 28. It's Jonathan Taylor's change in what he said, his shots at the team, his agent shots at the team, and then the, the injury. Like, I think the team is right to be hesitant, to be smart, and to wait. And I think the lessons of the last couple of years has changed this team's thinking, as it should, because they screwed up, they were wrong, and they bottomed out. Again, Zach Key for the Athletic, Greg Rakestraw. It's the Fan Midday Show, 93.5107.5, the fan. Uh, you know, a lot of this, at least the opening segment for me, and trying to read, digest, react, et cetera, is trying to make two plus two equal four. So, so let's talk about this. Are the Colts, I wouldn't say drawing a line in the sand, maybe is, is the wrong terminology, but do the Colts view this differently because he's got one more year in his rookie deal than say it would be if we were having this conversation about, hey, this is the franchise tag to bridge to a longer-term deal. Is that, in your mind, a sticking point for Chris Ballard, Jim Irsay, et cetera? Ten years. Ten years since they've used the franchise tag. And on on Pat, Pat McAfee, McAfee at that, yeah, exactly. Of all people, that's, that's just something they haven't resorted to, and it's a big reason why I mentioned a minute ago, right? Like Shaq Leonard, he got paid a year early. Yep. Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson, Naheem Hines got paid a year early, and he was a backup running back, right? So um, they've always rewarded their own, and that's a point of pride. And I think that's why Jim Mercer brought Jonathan Taylor onto his bus to say, look, we take care of our own. And this is a point of pride for Jim Mercer. This is very, very important for him. But they're doing the opposite right now. They're not paying him. The injury is part of it. But the reality here, Greg, is, JT has, he has zero leverage. He has nothing. And this is what Jim Mercer said on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that got a lot of people's attention is they negotiated the CBA. This is the reality. He has no leverage here right. whatsoever. He can hold out, but the team will fine him $40,000 a day. That's significant. And this is a guy that has not been paid yet. And I'm talking that second contract, that big money deal. So the end of the column is simply the Colts have made their choice. They're not going to pay him right now. They're not discussing a contract extension right now. Now Jonathan Taylor is going to have to make his because the ball is in his court. Whenever he does get healthy, he's either going to have to play or this is going to get worse. And if it gets worse, he doesn't have a lot of options. You know, there's a lot of chatter around the league that teams are going to call the Colts and, and ask for a trade. I don't see that happening. Jim Mercer made his stance very clear on that. Um, but if he plays and they don't come to an extension – 
the franchise tag is very much in play. It, yep. It's it's an affordable play for the Colts. What Saquon Barkley got a little bit more after the negotiation this year, ten or eleven million dollars. It's a big pay raise for Jonathan Taylor. But believe me, that's not what either sides want right now, and that's why this is so sticky. And I don't see a resolution in the near future. I want to I want to acknowledge that I was listening to what you were saying and comprehended the words in, in which you had typed that, that were posted on the Athletics site and app earlier today in terms of Chris Ballard saying, you pay your players. You said regardless of position. He said pay your players. I acknowledge that. That's what's being said. But in terms of action, is this also a potential shift in saying – we're only going to be paying guys at certain positions. Again, am I trying to rena the tea leaves and make too much out into the sack? No, I don't think so. And I think, you know, you, you were there last season. I think you saw what happened. I think, And they weren't. And they built this the wrong way. And they screwed up. And the owner's hands were dirty. The GM's hands were dirty. The, the coach, the previous coach's hands were dirty. Um, and I think they decided to take a long look at their team-building approach this offseason and say, okay, we haven't been doing it correct. And, you know, we've asked those questions before. Like, do you want to pay a left guard $100 million? And Chris Ballard's answer was the same thing. Yep. You pay your best players and an off-ball linebacker. And, and I think, you know, they gave Darius Leonard, Shaq Leonard, $100 million because he deserved it because he changes the game, but he hasn't been on the field. And so, you know, they're paying him – $20 million a year, and he wasn't able to impact the game last year because he was on the sideline. And so they're looking at their finances, and, and Jim Mercer said an interesting thing on Saturday night. He said, I'm responsible for the cap, and I'm responsible for everybody to get their share. Well, objectively, Jonathan Taylor deserves his share. He, he won them four to five to six games alone in 2021, and it still bothers Jim Mercer that that team didn't see the playoffs because he believes in his core – that if that team had stayed hot in the playoffs, they could have made a run to the AFC Championship game. He sure. really believes that they were good enough to do that. But I think they need. I think they needed the lessons of 2021 and 2022 to realize they were doing it wrong and they need to rethink that. The other layer is the injury, and I think that's the team being smart. Like, why isn't he on the field right now? And what's he going to look like when he comes back? Because this is a guy that never missed a game going back to junior high, never missed a practice. And then all of a sudden, 2022 happened, and he was off the field. And, and you have to be smart with running backs. You will not shell out a ton of money for a guy that's gotten hurt. And, and it's, maybe that's unfair to Jonathan Taylor. It certainly is unfair to running backs, the way they're getting treated. But that's the reality. And as Chris Ballard said a couple of weeks ago, the market is what the market is. And I think it's fair and smart and prudent of the Colts to wait and see what he looks like with Anthony Richardson before they shell out the money they're going to shell out. Now, I always thought, and this is just me saying these numbers. I've not talked to, you know, the, the real hard facts, but I always thought like three for 45 made sense for both sides, right? I don't know what you guarantee, 20. But, like, he deserves that. And that's not the top running back salary, and maybe he wants that, but I don't think he's McCaffrey and he's not Derrick Henry. But I think that would, would keep both sides happy. That allows JT to get another deal if he deserves it down the line and keep him for the early years of Anthony Richardson. But if he's asking for way more than that, you cannot blame the Colts for right. saying, no, no, we want to see if your ankle's good. Fair enough. All right, a couple quick things, and then we'll let you go to know you're traveling. Again, Zach Key for The Athletic. Kind enough to join us, Fan Midday Show, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Again, I acknowledge Jim Irsay has said, we're not trading him. Um, and, and, and when it comes to running back trades, and I realize this was 24 years ago, Marshall Falk got a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick. 
he got Mike Peterson and Brad Schioli. And that's when the running back position was a lot more valued than it is now. If it gets to the point where the Colts feel a, they have to make a trade, what would be a likely compensation pack they would get back for a player like JT? You know, that's a good question. And, and yeah, I'm glad you prefaced it with the fact that they're not intending to trade him. Yep. That, that's been very, very clear. But let's play the hypothetical for yep. the fun of it. I was just on serious with, with Charlie Weiss, and he made the argument that they absolutely should trade him, right? Because they're in a very, very obvious rebuild. Sure. And you're looking at, you know, let's say a top five pick this year. You're dreaming of Marvin Harrison Jr. And what can you get for Jonathan Taylor? Because he's going to want to go to a place that's going to want to sign him immediately. Can you get a two and a five? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you can get a one, but he's a hell of a player. He's a game-changing player. And if you're a team that's contending, this is a guy that can get you over the hump. He's a difference maker at a position where there aren't that many. He's one of those three or four guys, without question, if he's healthy, that can get you over the hump, that can change a game, that can win a game from a spot that's increasingly devalued. And and I think if you're Chris Ballard, and and, and this is getting tougher by the day for Chris Ballard because of all this chirping, right? Malky, like Jonathan Taylor's agent is on Twitter. Jim Mercer is talking. Like this is getting harder and harder for for Chris Ballard to get some kind of resolution. But you're right. And and if you can get what you got for Marshall Falk, quarter of a century ago I think I don't think that's a crazy thought like if you're the Colts right now are you really thinking about 2023 or 24 no everything you do is about Anthony Richardson in the next five years about where you're at in 25 and 26 and if you can add another second rounder or a third rounder I'm thinking second I think they want a second because he's that good you're setting yourself up for a nice play down the line because if you know as, as it stands right now it's really hard to think Jonathan Taylor is here in 25 or 26, and that's the reality. And, again, you need to think long-term. You haven't been doing that in the past. You need to think long-term. Everything is about the young quarterback and what this team looks like when he starts to come into his own, ideally. And if Taylor's not going to be here, you need to get something back for that. And that might be a move they make. Um, it's very, very unlikely. Jim Mercer is a stubborn man, and he's holding to his gun. They're not going to trade him. But long-term, that actually might be the best play. Before we let you go, I realize this is a wag, a wild blank guess. Is Jonathan Taylor on the field on September the 10th? I'm going to say, man, I don't, I, I'm going to say no. And I'm not backing that up with, look, I'm not as connected as I was sure. 10 months ago. I'm not, but um, I don't like this injury, man. I don't like hearing about a back injury, even though he denied it. Like the video of him on the sideline, he's not walking right. And, and back injuries, man, like I've covered enough NFL over the years to know like like Darius Leonard's been up and down with his back ankle neck you know calf thing for like two years and I'm not going to bring up his name but I covered a quarterback who retired <laughs> from a calf strain for God's sake so like these injuries are scary and, and anytime I hear back it's not as simple as just getting an ankle fixed and coming back so this doesn't look good this doesn't look good and I don't know if JT's going to back down from a stance about a trade request even though it would cost a lot of money for him to hold to his guns. But 
you know, gun to my head, let, let's say no. I just don't. I don't see a resolution coming anytime soon. All right, I, I, I did the typical radio thing. I lied. Since you brought up he of whom we don't say his name, I'll just simply reference his podcast that you so eloquently put together last offseason. I think we're 13 months removed from you, uh, you know, putting that together. And I'm listening. I'm like, hey, that's my voice uh, on the on the you know opening 30 right. or 30 yeah. seconds of it. Um, just what's the do you still get feedback about it today? Like I, I get it immediately last summer. We're all talking about this. Do you still get feedback from it over a year later? Yeah, I do. So what happened in Cincy a couple of weeks ago? What happened to the quarterback calf strain, right? Yeah. So, you know, everybody's freaking out. What, how long does it take to come back from a calf strain? And I realize I'm talking about an extreme example, maybe the most extreme in NFL history. Um, but yeah, when there's a quarterback that has a mysterious injury, it gets brought up a lot. Uh, my colleague Jordan Rodriguez put together a terrific, you know, podcast series on the play callers, just the the tree uh, of play callers, and, and you know, a lot of people enjoyed that and harkened back to to mine. It's it's stunning because it really was a turning point for this franchise. I'm not sure they realized at the time how much it would set them back. Sure, because they started to they started to have a little bit of success after that and convinced themselves they would be okay. But it, it really was a turning point for this franchise, and and they really have had to live the other side of it for the last couple of years, trying to find a guy at quarterback, missing on a couple of guys at quarterback. This is how the other half live. And it's really impossible to underscore how much changed August 24th of 2019. But yeah, I do, I do still get messages and, and tweets about it fairly regularly, which is, which is crazy because it was about 13 months ago, like you said, when it came out. Well, you did a hell of a job like everything else you do, my friend. I look forward to seeing you at Hubbard and Craven sometime soon. Safe travels and thanks for the time today, buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Have a good one, guys. You got it. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. You know, a few weeks ago, there was this wonderful piece on ESPN.com about guys that had played one game in the National Football League. One. And one of the seven players that were chronicled about it happens to be a friend of mine and has been for the better part of 15 to 20 years, um, but also uh, happens to be my next guest, and that would be Ted Karras, head coach once again of Marion University. I want to make sure that I, uh, I I give you the proper attribution. Uh, I may have had a cup of coffee, but it tasted awfully good. His one game with the Washington Redskins was led, led him to a Super Bowl ring a few, a few years later from back in 1987. Coach, how are you today? I'm doing better than good, Greg. Good to be with you and Jimmy. All, all right. We'll, we'll get to your nights in a second, but let's let's talk about that piece. What was it like reliving that uh, a few weeks ago? Uh, that was interesting. You know, it came out of the blue. An ESPN reporter contacted me, and, yeah, I was with the Redskins in training camp, and back then I, I got cut at the 60 cut, and then the strike happened, and I went back, and we had a really good team. We had no, you know – there was no Redskins at the time that crossed. We were all, um, you know, rookies, free agents. They did a great job of piecemealing the team together with a lot of guys that were in camp. We won our games against veteran-laden teams. And then, yeah, Doug Williams led the Redskins to the Super Bowl uh, that year. We didn't get our rings, though, until 30 years later, right? which is interesting. But that's why I said it was a damn good cup of coffee. (laughs) Did did you have the feeling that when you played that one game, and again, for those that have forgotten this now 36 years ago, three games is is what the replacement players got. Out of 15 that were played that season, you guys got three. 
and your game against the fully rostered almost Dallas Cowboys was kind of like the end of it. Was 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 the last what was the last of it? Did you kind of know in the back of your mind at that point I probably have seen my NFL chance come and go or did you still think there was more chances out there for you? I I tried for another year to try to get on and it didn't happen. So I, mean, I wasn't quite sure right then, but uh but no, I, I still tried different things that year, but I didn't get back. So, so as a guy that on. as a guy that got that that one game, that kind of moonlight Graham moment, uh, like we would see in a different you know sport in, in Field of Dreams, what is it like to see your son out there playing on a weekly basis? Oh, it's awesome, man! I'm really proud of him and how he worked, and you know how he worked himself into you know being able to play different positions on the old line too. You know when he was at the Patriots, you know to stick on that roster. And now he's arisen to captain, eight-year veteran. He's on another good team, snack, you know, snapping to another great quarterback. And uh, really just excited and proud. And really just fun to go, you know, less than two hours away. The thing that you should be most, the thing that you should be most proud about, in addition to what he's carved out in terms of his career, is the unbelievable good deed he is doing with the Cincy hat, the Indy hat, and, and the uh, uh, Village of Marici. And I hope I'm, I'm, I'm saying that properly. I mean, I, I almost, again, I, I, I think you know this. I am the parent of a special needs child. So, so this, this is on my brain as to what his future is going to look like. My son will turn nine in September. And I think about already to this day, hey, what is living going to look like for him after my wife and I are gone? Or, or, or as he kind of ages past, to some degree, living in my house. What Teddy has done to raise money, he's helping people find homes here in Hamilton County that have never lived on their own before. Why is that such an important cause to him? Well, first off, there's a huge need for it. It's it's very underrepresented group. There's not a lot of housing. The village of Marici is, um, was started by the Rinis, who also have a special need child. And um, Ted's best buddy from Cathedral High School is Matt Rini. And, um, you know, he's always just, you know, grown up. They've gone over the house many times in Fort Harrison. And then, you know, he, he had the Cincy hat. He, you know, this started as just a gift to his Bengals teammates. And then people started asking about it and wanting to buy it. And he goes, well, I, I'm not selling them for, for me. Then. I'm going to sell them for the village of Marici. And it's, it's totally organic. It took off. And he's raised almost, you know, well over a, you know, half million, almost three quarters of a million dollars. And they just built a new place up in Carmel and, you know, serving a need of the community, you know, right here in Indianapolis. Well, you sh- I, I know you are. Uh, you did good, Dad. Uh, you raised a heck of a kid there uh, with what he is doing. Right. And obviously that is something having known him since high school that, that resonates with me on many fronts. So, all right, let's talk about now. There's, there's so many cool things to talk about with you, as is always the case. But um, right. what is it like? walk in the same offices, being at the same facility. Again, so rarely do you get to kind of circle back in life and, and return to any job that you've had previously. What's it like being removed for a decade, being back on the Marion University campus now every day? Well, I joke with a lot of my recruits, like going back to the future. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm in a, we're in a different office, though, you know, from the one I right. had. It's just a different hall. But just to see – you know, the buildup and remembering, you know, back in, you know, oh six, you know, oh six when I came here the first time, what the campus looked like then and then now what it looks like now. And, you know, that was President Elzer's vision. You know, we have a medical school, we have an engineering school, we got a new dining hall, 
you know, there's just so many great things going on here. And it's, it's, I have walked around with a lot of pride, very happy to be here. Really excited to coach this group coming in. We got 157 student athletes going to descend on the West side here on Monday and looking forward to mentoring them, coaching them. We got a pretty good group and just really just a lot of excitement, a lot of energy on campus. 157. How many teams you got coach? Yeah, I know it's a, yeah, it's a really, kind of a big roster. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, I got, came in December. We had to recruit, you know, what we had to recruit, and we have a pretty good group of returners. So it's going to be very competitive, to say the least. You know, I, I know that in terms of, of college athletics, obviously the landscape is changing, is 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 pretty dramatic. Um, but, but Transfer Portal, my guess is, has a far bigger impact than, say, NIL would at your level. Uh, so, so I guess just your thoughts on that. How has that changed what you do on a day-to-day basis? I don't know if it's actually going to change what we do on a day-to-day basis, but it is a part of the game that is different than, you know, a few years ago. Um, and we didn't get in the portal that that much, you know, since I've been here so far. But I, I will. We will. We'll play the game. Um, and NIL is another game that, you know, it's trickling down to this level too. We haven't done anything with that yet, but those are two – you know, you think about you know, all the years I've coached, and, and now we have, you know, you couldn't do any of that stuff. And now it's kind of like the Wild West, really, in the NIL realm. But, um, and then, yeah, if guys are disgruntled, they can, they can enter the portal. I'm not going to really do anything differently. You know, I really focus. I'm a player-centric coach. You know, we're going to have a good, tough training camp and get the guys ready. And, um, you know, what each guy feels, that's up to them. But, uh not really going to change a whole lot. I Again, Ted Karras, the head football coach at Marion University for a second time. Kind of join us here. Greg Rakestraw filling in fan midday show, 93.5 and, and 107.5. The fan, let's put it this way. When you left Marion the first time, went to Walsh Division II school over in Canton, Ohio. So you've been, you recruited guys from the state of Indiana. Krishan Hogan immediately comes to mind that ended up coming back here to play at Marion. But it's been right. six or seven years since you really, you know, had to get out and talk to the high school coaches and recruit guys in this state. How has high school football locally changed? Because that's obviously where you get most of your players from. What's the talent level like now compared to what it was when you were at Rose or at Marion the first go-round? I think it's, I would think it was good back then. It's good now. I mean, this is a great metropolitan area for football. Indiana is a great football state. We're always going to start first in Indiana. And it's been great going out and seeing the, the high school guys. You know, I – I coached all around the state, so I know quite a few of the coaches. Recruiting the parents and the players, we had three big recruiting days here last week. It was great to show the facilities. Um, got a lot of comments from parents how they liked, you know, our energy and, and the campus and what it looks like. And uh, but the bottom line is, you know, it's going to come down to scholarship money at the end here. But we've had a good start to the 2024 class. And football in Indianapolis is alive and well at all levels. Uh, when, when you were out of coaching, I tried to lure you into the broadcast realm because you can talk it, as people can tell from our last 10 minutes of conversation. And you said, now, I appreciate it. I'm going to go watch my son play, which I had the world of respect for. Um, yeah. How much can you do that now? I, being the fact that he's close certainly helps. How much can you do that now around your day-to-day job of, of coaching at Marion University? Um, well, first off, thank you for that gig. It was me and Jimmy Cook. I think it was a Delta high school football <laughs> game. And we, we had a good time doing it. But, yeah, you know, I missed a lot of games the first go around when he said he was at Illinois. So I really relished the opportunity to be able to, I called it going on the Patriot Tour and watching yep. him play. 
And but now it's not, you know, in New England. We're two hours away. I'm planning on going to most of the home games. Um, the away games, I'm not going to go to. I'm a bad fan. Um, at away <laughs> games, it's, it's, it's treacherous out there sometimes as an opposing uh, person wearing a jersey. But um, but uh, shoot, I, I you know, it's going to be great. He's he's less than two hours away. Um, and hopefully I'll get to see most of the, most of the home games, but the away games I won't. I realize that again, as you just talked about, camp gets up, gets underway really in full effect next week. Uh, literally a month from today, you are playing your season opener on on Labor Day weekend. What are some of the goals that that you're setting from for this group, knowing how high the bar of expectations that you helped create, being a national yeah. champ in 2012? What's the goals you set for this season? Well, that's the goal every year now. I, yeah. I joke around that we create a monster in twelve, but that's that's what that's what the goal is. So, and then also just on you know my observance over the last six months, bringing this team closer together. It is a large roster, and there was a little bit of a schism between offense and defense. I thought we did a good job of spring bringing everyone together, and I think that's going to be the thrust of our training camp. You know, really getting to know each other a little bit better. And um, but we but we have a really good group, a good group of seniors coming back. We got a lot of the young talent. And then, yeah, going to, we go to Chicago, play Judson on September uh, 2nd. My friend, I'm so happy for you. I'll be seeing you on campus very soon. Thanks for taking the time today, and please please give Teddy and the rest of the family my best, okay? Will do, Greg. Thanks for having me on. You got it. And, again, that is Ted Karras. He is the football coach at Marion University. And as he just talked about, the Knights are on the road for their home opener. They are then at home for the remainder of September. Uh, they have games on September the 9th, September the 16th, and September the 30th. MUNights.com always has more.